I started working with with Woody Arup in 1996. My job was to put in place a, a measurement and a typing classing system to be a technical advisor, I guess, since then. I know. It hasn't been me. I'm a, I'm a bureaucrat and a consultant, so I don't do any hard work. It hasn't been I me doing that. the mothering up and all that sort of stuff. But I know that, that one of the beauties is that I've had access to this enormous accumulation of data. And don't also forget that every year, every sheet gets classed. And every time they go through the shed, they go, they've got ear tags, they're, we're reading the data, they get, they're being weighed as they go down the race. So there's, there's an enormous accumulation of data that we get to draw on. We're one of the studs that selects for lifetime performance. It's not just the first year of life that a lot of studs focus on. It's not having world beaters when they're one. What you need are world beaters when they're six, whose genes yeah. have been passed on. Um, that's also cumulative. So the, these are some of the things that we've put in place. It, I keep coming back to the fact it's like an investment in time. It's an investment in advice from people like you, from me. Um, it's time. You've got to put the time in and you've got to pay for tests. That's one of the key things that, that differentiates the, the suppliers of genes in our industry. And I think it's going to be one of the key things that differentiates where commercial growers get to in five or 10 years' time, you'll, you'll see the difference between people that have spent the money and the time to find the studs that have got the genes they need. I am now getting inquiries on breeding ewes. Have they got lifetime ewe valuations? Where do they sit? What are the genes? Have they got these qualities in them? And when you show the hat, well, you, you're, you put you in a, a marketing strength. And oh, that absolutely. marketing strength adds up to a fair bit of money. And well, especially if you've got an agent who, who's actually pushing that scenario for you. Oh, absolutely. But look, it's one of the things, One of, I guess I was, without gloating or uh, being egotistical, when I was at AWI, we, the, we were, I was involved in getting the AWI board to put in place a 10-year investment in what we call the Lifetime, Merino Lifetime Performance Project. And the decade before that, we got the Lifetime Wool Production Project, which was $7 million. And at the time, that was the biggest project we'd funded. That accumulating data, and for example, Craig uh, Woody Arup is involved, has contributed size to that program, but also they're in the meat, the meat industry, MLA, have included uh, Woody Arup's sire in their meat nucleus flock because he's a bit of a freak. But what you end up doing is you end up getting very strong independent data across a bunch of flocks of the lifetime performance of the progeny of these rams. That costs a lot of money. It's been a really smart long-term yeah. investment by the industry and it'll pay off um, over the decades ahead. Um, it's one of, the, it's one of the, the things that I think will, again, distinguish studs that are bloody good at breeding sheep that look great at 12 months of age from studs that have got the genes have patiently and expensively, it turns out, invested in uh, breeding ewes there are world beaters at every stage in that six or seven years. Those you stay on most commercial growers' farms. When I come along to selecting rams with this kind of data, can I just select out one key factor I want to look at, or should I select the combination of factors? Like if I want, if I concentrate on early growth rates, and, and I see that as a really important tool. What I'm saying, if I concentrate on that, am I going to lose the rest? No, no you're not necessarily. There are. There are correlations. And so one of the things I, and one of the things I've, I, I do uh, for some of the audio clients, as you know, is I help analyze the Ramsal catalog 
and mm. we identify for clients based on the genetic strategy we worked out for their specific farm. We identify the sorts of rams that have got the package of genes that will help. Okay, and that's one of the key things. Yeah. One of the mistakes people often make is they say, right, well, I need to increase my yielding growth rate or I need to increase my eye muscle depth or my fat or something like that. And they just, they're very single-minded in their focus. But what happens is you drop or you lose control of some of the important other trays that are part of a balanced sheep. And this is one of the things I've seen so much with people that have gone down essentially a a path towards a non-mulesing type. So essentially they've largely abandoned adult fleece productivity, particularly when you look at their old, their older ewes. Now, I mean, I used to work with some of the key people in this space. And my argument is that they didn't need to do that. You can select for a planar type. You can absolutely achieve your goal of a non-mules type, a genetically non-mules type adapted to your environment. But you don't have to abandon fleece weight. You don't have to accept a really, really light fleece weight in doing that. What you have to do is just work a bit harder to find those ewes, and they're there, that are plain, have grown fast, are long-bodied, which is one of the things people tend to forget with fleece weight. They've got the wool quality over their hips and towards that back end of them, not just on their shoulder. And that if they look at their ewes and measure them when they're old, not just when they're young, they find these genes. This My biggest criticism of a lot of people is they've never constructed the filter they need to find and concentrate the genes, to distill the genes that are needed for this lifetime production. But it's coming. The, the pressure's building, as you said. People are starting to ask about it. And it's this is where the mm. results coming through from these, these national SAR evaluation programs are so important. Well, this mulesing debate's an interesting question. I, I didn't want to touch on that too much because it's a pretty broad, broad brush. Yeah. But I think it's important that if we we don't want to give anything up, but if for, that we move in that direction, that if it ever did stop or if we were ever forced to stop it, and I, whether it does or not, it, in personal yep. opinions don't really matter, um, that we are already down the path. We're not starting from scratch, say, in 10 years' time. In, so if it happened in 10 years' time, we're already down the path and there's no, no issue. Well, that's, that's, but that's one of the things um, I, I taught, use the term pragmatism. Uh, it's about, as I said before, having your cake and eating it too. Um, I think, and it's one of the things in our industry, our sheep have become a whole lot plainer. As someone that's gone to things like uh, Bendigo and uh, I used to go to the Dubbo Ram Sale from time to time, and uh, you guys go to Ram Sales too. Over the past 20 years, the merino sheep that's offered for sale has evolved. It's a lot plainer than it was. Mm. It's like we've, as an industry, we've made massive progress towards the pole genetics. While we're doing everything else, we've also been making progress on the poles. It's not just having poles without productivity and quality. We've now got the genes and the, the, the combinations coming through that are outstandingly plain, pole, productive, and they've got the reproductive performance that, that we need it's important and this is where i think particularly i know what we've done we've we've gone for a, a type of sheep that's very it's very plain but it's not overly plain it's still got coverage it's still got wool quality down the back leg and over the pin when we 
we take our micron tests at the pin. Okay, we do that because it's a harder test than taking it on the midside yeah. or near the shoulder, like some people do. Um, well, we measure the staple down. length. Every time we take a micron test, we measure staple length. Why is that important? It's extremely important, particularly when you combine it with taking it at the back end of the sheep, is we want to make sure we've got the density and the productivity over the whole sheep, okay? Not just at the shoulder. We haven't just selected for sheep that look great when they're young and have got good wool and fine wool around the shoulder and the side. We want sheep that have got the quality at the back end as well without the heavy wrinkle, without the heavy front end um, of old sheep, but with the growth rate. And this is, I come back to growth rate, mate, that um, genetically there's a strong positive or moderate, about a 0.3.4 genetic correlation between yielding growth rate and the having a planar breech end and, and less body wrinkle. Basically, if you've selected for fast-growing progeny, they tend to be planar. The converse is true. If you select a very wrinkly sheep, you tend to have sheep that grow slowly, okay? I just pulled up while we've been talking. Like last year, I think there were 53 rams from 12.0175 offered at the, the sale. Their average yielding growth weight was plus nine, okay? So that's five kilos heavier than the national average in their first year of life, Okay. The, the tops of them were plus 12s, plus 13s, plus 14s. And so this is one of the things that I'm, I encourage people is to think about this as a long-term strategy, um, to invest in the genetics, particularly growth rates, because that also helps on the repro side of things, but to not abandon wool quality, not to just a draft, a simple drafting gait based on size or plainness, because you'll lose too much. So... Bold crimping wolves. Now, yep. bold crimping wolves are very fashionable, uh, especially in WA, but you all love them. They're rich, they're bold. They seem to grow quicker. Mm. What is the correlation between bold crimping wolves growing longer than finer crimping wolves? We've got to throw out micron as, uh, sorry, throw out the old visual counts reflecting to micron. But these bold crimping wolves grow quicker. The, the, there is, no, is that fact? This all stems back to the follicle. So that individual little fibre production factory. Now, putting the curve or the crimp in the wool when it emerges from the skin requires energy, requires sulphur. It's one of the limiting amino acids. And so the more we push the, genet the genetic lever towards a finer crimp, what's happening, we're actually also pulling the lever back on the efficiency of fibre production. The bolder crimping sheep if you do it properly. Which you're saying affect growth rates as well. Genetically, we, we select for a more efficient wool-growing sheep. You tend to reflect in a longer staple, okay? But it's not enough just to select for bold crimp. And a lot of people miss the point here. They think just having bold crimp's wonderful, okay? They, they haven't understood it enough. We select for a bold crimp. We select for a fine micron. We select for narrow histogram of diameter so we don't want a coarse spread we also look for a deep crimp this is one of the tricks that we that people learn if they understand this stuff properly there are a lot of sheep out there that are bold crimpers okay but they've got what i call a lazy crimp wave okay because they're not really they don't really have high density they're not truly genetically fine and when you look at the if you test the adult ewes that those sheep breed you look at the wool quality later in their life, those ones look like world beaters when they're young, but they tend to be light cutting for their micron when they're old. This is one of the tricks, one of the traps a lot of people have fallen down. So 
again, to do this stuff properly, and you can do it, you just need to design a system, a filter, if you like, for the genes. We need to distill the genes for that longevity of productivity, the quality, not just at the front end of the sheet, but also the back end of the sheet. The yielding growth is incredibly important, that first year of life. The you, her length of body, her capacity to put on weight, her pelvic geometry. She's got to stand correctly. You know, there's a lot of, lot of effort the studs go into, a lot of it's visual, as you know, but also a lot of it's what we call phenotypic. It's weighing things, it's measuring microns. But there's also the genomic tests that you can do, either on that individual animal, which I know Woody Arup does, but also oh, with some oh, of the sorry. clients. That genomic, test, that, that genomic test amazes me how you can take a blood sample and it can tell you everything about that. You, uh, that I, anyway, true. obviously people, you know, I'm often the sharpest tool in the toolbox at school, but I find that quite amazing. But Russ, it's part of the new landscape. And just to, to give an example, with two, of, two flocks in the last 12 months, uh, you arrange for them to get a what they call a flock genetic yes. profile, where they take a sample of their of an age a young age group uh, that's sent away and tested by sheep DNA, and that's compared against a national database of commercial sheep. And what you get back is a report which gives you a uh, essentially benchmarks your flock for a whole bunch of the key traits against the national flock. And this is a really important thing because one of the challenges, as we know, is that most, uh, most farmers are pretty proud of the sort of sheep that they've bred and they take it a bit personally. So yeah, it's a very people personal subject. People can think that their sheep are the best, but it's not actually until you... We, we don't often invest in getting that sort of third-party view of our genetics. And so with, with the two, two flocks we, we did this for, the report was instrumental because what, what we did was we, we then, with, with Craig's help, I explained the results to people, put it in the context of their business. We did a fair bit of work to understand their business in their particular environment. And for example, the rainfall challenges, the seasonal challenges and so on. But then we put in place essentially a longer term plan. Now you work, okay, so you understand where you're starting from, which is critical in any business. Understand where you get to, where you need to get to. And um, then you end up in this sort of really strong position where when a grower is confronted with a whole choice of stud, different studs or different rams within the studs, you can help narrow or filter their choice down to the ones that fit their strategy, which is what we've done and which you and I both know those clients are very, were very happy with how we help them find a direction, filter the genetics and then put in place a program which will yield results, which is backed by really strong science, that means that they are going to start to breed this year and next year and the year after. They'll be breeding the genes that they need as their, their mothers of their lambs for the next decade. It's just so important uh, with those two clients in particular. Um, good, well, just because you're bigger doesn't make you better. But it really gave them a base to start right. We know where our weaknesses are now. We know where we want to get to. And I found that really important that to know where you sit now. Oh, absolutely. This stuff is, um, it was good for me too, in a sense, but because it's a, a way that I can use my knowledge to help some of these commercial growers. And particularly the bit I enjoy yeah. is what I, is the, as a sort of a data nerd that I am, is sort of the, the, the strategy, bit, the strategic analysis, putting in place a program and generally avoiding hard work, as I mentioned before, hard physical work. But um, 
mean, this stuff, it's an investment in time. So there's the time and the cost of getting that flock genomic profile, which the last time I looked was about 200 bucks. But in terms yeah. of yeah, the, the value of the, the, the value that the return on that investment comes from not just getting that bit of paper back because it's just a bit of paper. You have to turn it into a strategy. That's where the real return comes from. That's what we did. And that's um, for those growers, it was very fortunate that they were like essentially Craig offered my time to help help them as as clients. But what it's what it's done is give them a, a very clear business strategy, a customized business strategy, and it's turned that genomic information, which is not necessarily that easy to interpret. Okay. It's great for geeks like me, but you actually have to the key is to turn it into a, a long-term, sensibly based, customized business plan that suits a particular environment whether it's yeah. in the north of your state where they tend to get more uh, summer rainfall, whether it's to the east where you've got a, an even shorter growing season, whether it's down around Koji where you've got um, a lot more rainfall, you, we, we can customise a program that takes into account when you join, when you land, when you shear, when you have to turn stuff off. That stuff becomes important and it should be part of a strategy. It's not just narrowing your focus down just to the genetic information. Well, I know on the, the, the financial figure return on one of those properties was just immense, uh, the oh, difference yeah. over a 10-year period. And just the, the compounding interest um, it, just blew my mind away how, how that property, the income growth through compounding with, with more finer wool, more lambs, more saleable sheep, at a higher price, that the compounding interest was just absolutely exploded. But one of the things that there was a really good case study because uh, that particular business, which is a, a really well-run, profitable commercial business that has expanded lots of sheep, but mm. they collected a fair bit of data, but they actually hadn't analysed it. So when we went it was through, it's raw data. It's raw data, and see, there's a difference between data and intelligence. You know. It, so you've got to convert that raw data into usable business intelligence. And so what we worked out, for example, that I, on that particular property, uh, yeah, they used were getting pregnant, but too many of them were losing lambs. Mm. Too many of the ewes that had lost lambs were still in the flock later in their life. You weren't filtering out the ewes that, that were there wasn't a good enough filter for early life reproductive performance because one of the things that science has shown us is if a you a maiden you loses lambs at her first attempt, a lot of growers give her a second go. Okay. If she loses, if a you that loses her lambs at her first attempt, she's far more likely to lose them at a second attempt. It's like she's learned poor behaviors. Okay. Unless you've got in place a filter to identify those girls that have failed to rear properly, at landmarking time, at, uh, well, then there's a whole lot of uh, what I call passengers, users that are passengers, not performers, passengers slip through the cracks. So the system we put in place, the program we had put in place, also included some stuff they should be doing about their breeding, their, their operational program. But when you add that together with the better genes, faster growing, which is a key thing they needed, faster growing on planar bodies, they didn't need to get much finer. The oh. individual U value in their lifetime, it was like an extra couple of hundred dollars, 400 to $500 per you lifetime that you end up yeah. increasing. You multiply that by 
10,000 ewes or 20,000 ewes and then multiply that by a number of years. What happens is you very quickly add up with a, a large number, which is potential income. And all that you had to do to access it was the first workout it was there. Realize that this thing about what we call lifetime production, lifetime productivity is a really good concept to have. So when you walk, when you drive up your driveway and you see ewes in the paddock, good question is, how much money should she have earned for me this year? How much money should she have earned if she's on my place for five years? Is she a year that's going to generate 800 bucks of income for me? Or is she going to generate 1500 bucks? And this is a language I think in 10 years time in, in, in my career, I've seen a big, in our careers, we've seen a huge change in our industry. We talked about this earlier. I think in 10 years time, I reckon our, we've got a pretty smart industry. We've got a pretty responsive industry over the 200 years of life. I think you will we'll see a lot more emphasis on lifetime productivity, which is actually efficiency. Our industry will yeah. get more efficient. We'll be dealing with, who knows, maybe even less rainfall. You know, we, we need to keep that selection pressure on ewes that are very efficient at converting the food that you provide them into dollars in your pocket. And if they're more efficient, if they're better adapted, they're going to be healthier. And I think this is the win-win. Look, Paul, we, you and I could talk like this all day. It's just so enjoyable and so refreshing. The, but I think we might wind her up there because we'll just keep going on and on. I agree. My tips for WA growers, if I was to give people a couple of tips to focus on this year, one is would be to, if you're sourcing genetics, make sure that stud has benchmarked itself and does participate nationally in a cross-flock benchmarking, and particularly the life, the Marino Lifetime Performance Project. Um, that's there's a site at Pingelli in WA, so that you can go and have a look. So, oh, Pingelli, yes. Yep, find. I'll probably pronounce that wrong. Being a, a yeah, Easterner. you did, yeah. Sorry, but uh, find. Make sure the stud you go to is investing in this information, this lifetime productivity and benchmarking. Okay, make sure you know where you stand. Okay, have a hard look at your own flock. Do you know Do you know how many lambs you're losing? Do you know how old, how productive your ewes are later in life? Understand your own environment, but then also avail yourself of good information. Okay, it's out there. So a couple of tips I would make uh, for growers, I'd suggest for growers, but certainly one of the ones is to have a look around. Your investment in genetics is important because each ram, as we said earlier, can basically father 200 plus lambs in its productive lifetime on your place. What genes is it passing on? Is it only passing on genes for early production and quality? Or are his daughters on your farm going to be outstanding ewes later in life? And are his sons that in your environment probably have be turned off as weather lambs or weather weaner lambs, are they going to get to their growth targets uh, a month ahead of schedule? Are they going to save you a month yeah. of feeding? Are your yeah. ewes, are they going to rear their lambs every year? There's a few things to look at. There's a, a change of emphasis, but there's certainly the genes are out there now. So I'm just encouraging growers to, 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 before they make the investment, make sure they go to get the correct genes and the correct advice. And Paul, the stud marina breeders, people brooding these genetics, this is not a hobby. This is a serious game involving futures of profitable farms. So True. make sure your stud breeder is serious of what they do. Okay, we'll leave it there, Russ. It's been great to talk to you. Great conversation. Uh, 
and we'll do it again. We'll do it again. There's more to talk Thanks about. Paul. There's some other things for us to get our teeth into. Oh. And I, I look forward to the next yeah. chat. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks, Paul. And that's all for this episode of Woody Arup Yarns. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. We look forward to chatting again with you soon. For more information or to find the next episode, check out the Woody Arup website or look for us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Instagram.